brand new episode of Squeaky Bum Time, and it's really, really exciting to have Keish back here in the studio. We keep changing settings. Yeah. I don't care. What matters is the conversations that we have, the content we generate. Charlie Adam and Kevin Campbell are here. You look tired. I am very tired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a time zone. It's a killer. I can't remember Charlie looking even this knackered after some of the games that he played. No, in exactly. It's been a long three or four days. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired. Jet lag is setting in. I'll be honest. I'm looking at the clock above Charlie's head. It's five minutes to three, which means he's been awake for 12 hours and... No, 11 hours and 55 minutes to be precise, and he only had three hours sleep. Oof. So... Kevin, on the other hand, you're similar, aren't you? You've hardly slept too. Yeah, I've hardly slept, but I'm used to I'm used to not sleeping a lot. So, you know, Charlie needs his beauty sleep. Is that I, because, I don't? Is that because uh, <laughs> yeah, he needs his beauty sleep? I don't need I don't need to sleep that much. Is that because Ian writes so loud he would just wake you up? It, no, I used to. He used to go to sleep. I used to see him go to sleep and wake up, and he said, "Are you still awake?" That, oh, there you go. That extreme. Yeah. We need to get him checked out at the doctors. <laughs> I've done all that. You did that? I've done all Of course, because they were worried. They used to think, why aren't you sleeping? But they said, you know, obviously you don't need a lot of sleep. And when you do sleep, you, you get quality sleep. So, and that's two the, hours, that's one what hour. you need in your career, isn't it? Quality over quantity. Quality over quantity, definitely. How many hours did you clock in, honestly? Uh, roughly, on average, when you were a player, at least? I'd sleep as much as I can. Loved it. <laughs> so some players really and we've heard this a, a fair few times as well who is the guy that I remember the most famous is Michael Essien yes Michael, Michael Essien, Essien was, yes I remember he would train and go home and sleep yeah. I would do that as well you would just go home and I sleep I would go and train go home maybe 2 o'clock and I'd sleep to maybe 4 o'clock 5 o'clock get up have dinner and watch a game and then go back to bed at 10 o'clock that was regular for a long time did it affect who you roomed with I always roomed on my own Oh, or I was at home after training. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, when you were... And I had no kids at that time, so it was easy to get easy asleep. To get, <laughs> easy to get a kid. Myself, always roomies um, back then. But it, it didn't matter. Who, they could sleep. Who was the best roomie? Who was the worst? Be honest here. Who's, who well, sleeps got, what I got, can... I got, I got, I got, I can tell you this. It was pre-season and I got... Um, we went to play Plymouth. Well, you're with which team, sorry? Arsenal. You were with Arsenal. I played Plymouth. And they put me with Paul Merson. And that was the most interesting afternoon. Because normally they say, you know, get in the afternoon, get to bed, get your head down for a couple of hours and da, da, da. Never, never slept. But I was there laying on the bed watching him on CFAX. Because CFAX used to be like, the text message of, of the TV. It was like the pre-internet effectively yeah. for news. Yeah, so it was like texting of the TV. But what he's, he's doing, he's checking up on the horses, he's checking up on the dogs, even bowls. He was gambling on everything. Wow. <laughs> from the CFAX. Yeah. And when he wins, he'll be like, yeah, get me going crazy. Yeah. And when he loses, he'll be throwing his shoes around and all sorts. He's, it was two hours that I'd never get back, I tell you. So was that a good roommate or bad roommate? Well, not that I wanted to sleep, but you know, just calmness. But he's there and he's up, and just made me laugh. Like you know, so I suppose it weren't a bad one. No, Steve Bold probably when I room with Steve Bold once. Is there room because he's about six five? Yeah, but we're not in the same bed, are we? <laughs> I don't know. Times were, were but tough. You know what? Obviously, I'm I'm awake most of the night. And he's, he's nonstop fighting. He fights all night. <laughs> It's no. true, you fight all night, I'm telling you. 
some of the some of the smells that were coming out of that guy, man. <laughs> Jesus. Healthy living, man. Yeah, healthy living, you know. Better out there. Get out, it's got to get out, right? Yeah. But God, it was like... That bad. Yeah. No, that's something I never thought I'd ever hear. No. Steve Bonfata. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Charlie, you were here in Malaysia before. Do you remember who your roommate was here? On my own. Always on your own? Always on my own, yeah. When you're at... Every club I've been to... Apart from at Blackpool, I um, I've been on my own, and that's normal because the big clubs don't want players sharing rooms. Because the reason is because if one of these get ill, then then the other one's going to catch infection as well. So they try and separate everybody around, and then you can, you know, and that's the, the thing is that what happens if you've got two midfielders in the room and both of them are playing, and they both catch the infection, then you've lost two players uh, instead of losing instead one. Of one yeah. So that's why clubs now allow their players to go and have their own rooms. Let me ask you this then. Whose room do people gather in? Because you're not all just going to file off to your own room, right? Yeah, yeah. No, There's usually I, somebody. No, nah, no, really, no. I would. A lot of lads go and play PlayStation, but I was never into PlayStations. Or I, I would just go and have a coffee or I'd watch a game in the hotel the night before a game I would, or I'd go to my own room. I wouldn't. Majority of the time, everybody end up in the treatment room, huh? Well, that's the one thing I was going to say. If there was like a masseur's room, a lot of lads will... Yeah, we'll go in there and have a good banter yeah, in there. And have banter with and a staff laugh with a masseur. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's normal. Because I can imagine you talking tactics to the manager. No. No. No, I would be in the treatment room having a laugh and a joke, <coughs> messing it up. Messing up the jokes or messing up the... <laughs> Mess, <laughs> messing up the treatment room. Yeah. Okay. Having a good laugh, throwing a bit of cream around. <laughs> Enjoying ourselves. No, it was good, good fun. Dynamics within the, the reason why I said the tactics thing was a slight in joke because I'm not sure if you guys know about, he knows, we talked about earlier, parched. Does that mean anything to you? If I say parched? Does it mean anything to you? Charlie, do you want to do the honours and explain? Do you explain? Okay. So Peter Crouch has a podcast. Okay. A very popular podcast. And um, I made it big, so there you go. He is responsible. The reason <laughs> Peter Crouch's podcast is big is because he revealed on his show there was one player, didn't say who, but he was nicknamed Parched because preseason it's hot. You're in Malaysia, for example. Everyone's going for a drink except for one player who'll be over with the manager, just having a chin wag with the manager, just talking to the manager. So he became known as Parched, and no one knew who it was. Nobody. Some people had to come out and say it wasn't me, like Jermaine Genus. Until Charlie came about, and you were parched. That's why I was well hydrated before training, wasn't I? And I don't need to drink before it. <laughs> I like that. That's a brilliant answer. Using experience, asking the coach, knowing that my career was going to go into coaching, understanding the game, getting experience mm. of your mark users and people that have been around the game, played the highest level. You can't buy these stories, though. That's true. And I tell you what, I went onto your Twitter and I found you even put up a picture in response to this. You and, and uh, Sir Kenny Daglish. So this is why I'm parched. I can't remember the exact caption, but it was... In a steam company, any. Yeah, well, in a steam company. <laughs> in a steam company. And if you know, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Charlie, right. what, what, was this common across the Premier League clubs or was this sort of concept of one player always talking to the manager? I think you have to be a, a, a strong character to do that in front of the lads sometimes because mm. you, you could be down for get, getting a right ribbing, you know, your manager's boy and all that kind of thing. That didn't really happen at, at Arsenal much. Although George Graham, for instance, took all the all the training. He was an excellent coach, and uh, obviously his results and his record says it says it all. 
but the, the lads tended to stick together when it was time to be with the with the manager and coaches you, you stuck with them and there was time where we're away so there weren't really one player you know the, the best part about this Parch story he had no idea you had no idea until a groundsman came up to you after the, the Peter Crouch um, podcast Yeah, when I was out? at Red and somebody asked me and I still didn't have a clue. So I phoned Crouch up and asked him. And he, t and he told me, yeah, and he just said, like, would you come on the show and reveal yourself? I said, absolutely, no problem. So, yeah, I made his podcast famous. So I'm waiting for a, an invite back on it. Yeah, he's never invited you back. Well, no. he, he needs to. You, yeah. you know, not just invite, you've got to get royalties at this point. Yeah, you go. yeah. You, you've got the show in December, don't you? Yeah, he, I got a text all day. They're making they're in a big show in London, so I'm, I'm I've been invited to nice. it now. So, yeah, I, I might make a little trip there and see see how it is. He's even got mugs with parched on it. <laughs> it's amazing. I love this story so much. Yeah. I just love it. And the way obviously Peter Crouch tells it much better than I do. I'm going from memory. Here, so what are you calling me now, Sleepy? Uh, if we were all one of the seven dwarves, you would be Sleepy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Not sure who I would be. Uh, but anyway. This is completely off tangent because I know you have prepared a topic for today, Keish. No, not, not really a topic, but rather a conversation about, um, you know, circumstances at a football club. We're recording this podcast on a weekend where, um, you know, a couple of clubs uh, find themselves in distasteful positions. Um, you've got the obvious one, Leicester City, obviously. Um, a lot of, you know, expectations on them. Uh, last season, they did, you know, relatively okay. This season barely any business in the transfer window and now suddenly they find themselves in a almost like a crisis position despite having a, a, a roster of incredible players and then you've got Liverpool now I wouldn't put them on a similar pedestal obviously because Liverpool aren't at where Leicester are um, and it, it'll be unfair to say that Liverpool are in a crisis as well but you could argue that things, things aren't exactly going on really well at the club at the moment so I'm very curious because Charlie, um, Kevin, the both of you have played in the Premier League um, you've been a part of teams through the ups and the downs. And more often than not, we hear stories of the ups. We hear the, the beautiful, the, the, the glorious stories of, of what, it, what it's like to be a part of the winning days. Um, but when things aren't exactly going well, I'm curious, what is it like in that dressing room? Because it must be intense. It must be confusing. It must be frustrating. And how do you navigate something like that? So maybe I'll start with you, Charlie. If you're part of that Liverpool dressing room at the moment, what would it be like internally at this point? Because before the season, they were being earmarked as title challengers. Well, they'll be having discussions regular. They'll be looking back at the mistakes. But the biggest thing you're going to be saying is stick together. We're a group that has been successful. We've, we know how to win. We know we've been champions. We've been to the three European Cup finals in the last five years. We've got some of the best players in the world. We're having a tough period, but we need people to stick together. We cannot have people going off and doing their own thing and thinking they're too good and they're better than what they are. So the message from Jurgen will be stick together and and we'll be okay because we know that we've got players in here that will hurt teams and um, there'll be no doubt that Liverpool will turn it round. Class is permanent. Mm. That's one thing. The expectation level, obviously, because of Jurgen Klopp and what the team have done over the last four or five years. The expectation level has gone through the roof at, at Liverpool and the standards at that club are high anyway. But this team have been probably the most consistent or one of the most consistent teams in, on the planet for the last four or five years. So when you do drop a few levels be, below that, 
it's going to feel like a crisis to fans, but the, the key people, Jurgen Klopp, his, his coaching staff, etc., you, you, you try and stick to the same things that got you the success because that's what you have to do. It's got you success before, so why would you change? Maybe you tweak things. They tweaked the system a little bit against Rangers in the Cup. They they Nobody could say they didn't play well against Arsenal. They played a lot better than they had done. If they'd played like that against Brighton, they beat Brighton. If they played like that against Fulham, they beat Fulham. So I think we're seeing Liverpool respond. You may not see it in the result, but I, I think this is a huge weekend. They're going to be at home. Anfield's going to be really aggressive and uh, and I think they're going to they're going to really go for City so again that's what the manager's going to want he's going to want that response from the team what about internally and, and the leaders within the side because I'm sure fights happen I'm sure arguments happen we you hear all the reports about Manchester United particularly last year a dressing room mm. bust ups and we were talking about this early on with Stoke you called out publicly a few of your teammates. You said we've been getting away with murder when you got relegated. So yeah. obviously not everyone can be on the same page. Not everyone will care as much you could argue perhaps. I, I don't listen, know. Listen, there'll, there'll be lads in that group that are dominant forces in terms of in, in, in that squad. Your virtual Van Dijk's, Henderson, Milner, um, Milner um, Robertson, Trent, Thiago. You know, they'll be the ones that are demanding from each other that, you know, this is not accepted, this is not good enough, we know it's not good enough. And they'll, and you just keep looking at videos, you look at what's going wrong. Some are, some players are, are playing below the level that they are, we know that. But because they're English and it's the British press and it's the, the high profile players, then it, it's escalated a little bit more than what it actually should be. Um, so, yeah, like I've said, when you drop below a standard when you're at Liverpool, then it's a crisis. There is a crisis because it's not what they're expecting. That's not what they're used to. It's like Manchester United when, you know, they've been, it's been a crisis for a number of years mm. for different reasons because they've, they're used to winning. And at the moment, Liverpool have had a tough start to the season. Then it's, oh, Jürgen's going to be out, seven-year syndrome, it's this and that. It's no, just keep doing the right things, work hard every day and your chances will come and it will turn. But during, not so much on the Liverpool aspect now, because only they know what's happening in the dressing room, but during your playing careers, I mean, Charlie, how would you handle what you would deem as subpar performances from... I tell people. Straight to their face. Straight to their face. Mm. I've had many arguments. I've had many disagreements. I've had fights. I've had, you know, that's it's part and parcel of the game. You're passionate. You, you want to succeed. You want to be the best. Nobody wants to see your team bottom of the league or close to the bottom of the league and getting beat every week, that's it's hard to take because it, you care. When people say about, when we discussed it last night, mm. you can earn as much money in the world and people say, it's the first thing people say, they don't care, they're earning too much. A lot of rubbish. These players care. The pride for the football club, for the supporters who pay very good money to come and watch them and they hurt for each other because they've been so special together and as a group of players, it's hurting because they're getting criticism. Nobody wants to get criticism. Everybody loves a pat on the back and say, oh, you're a good player and that. But when the criticism comes, that's tough to take. Yeah? Did you 
were you like Charlie? Were you the type to actually confront another teammate if you think that they're not yeah, delivering? If you, if, listen, if you if you if you know, because us as players we know. If you know somebody's not putting it in, then listen. It's not just me. There was other players who was, was captains at previous clubs. For instance, Everton. I'm wearing the armband, but you know, David Weir, Richard, uh, Richard Goff, Goffy was another one. Abel Xavier, Dave Unsworth, Big Fergie, Big Dunk. If you're not doing it, you're going to get called out. But that is what you expect. Mm. That's what we were brought up on. If you're not doing it, you're going to get told. And it's not necessarily when things are going bad. If things are going good and you play a game and you're not doing it, you're going to get, to, you're going to get called out. So these are just fundamental things that need to be addressed. But when things are going bad, sometimes you do have to bite your tongue a little bit because everybody's suffering. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. not just about when you're losing, it's not just about coming in and arguing and fighting amongst mm. each other. Sometimes silence is key here. Yeah. And just sitting and thinking about your own performance. Because sometimes it's your own performances, <laughs> you know. Because you could be digging somebody out. Deflecting it. But deflecting away from yourself. So sometimes you've got to look at yourself first and foremost and be ready at the right moment to say the right thing. Because if you don't say the right thing, because you don't know what's going on personally in somebody else's life across that dressing room. You know, the mother, the father, the brother, the sister could be ill in hospital and he doesn't want to talk to anybody, mm. but he's having a tough time and it's affecting his game, and you're going on and blah, blah, emotional, it's emotion. So you've got to think of the right moment, the right players who you can say what to and how, and that's that's key in the dressing room. And these Liverpool players now will be, I think they will be criticising each other, they'll be, they'll be in each other's ear, they'll be talking to each other, but most importantly, they'll be sticking together, and that's that's what you have to do. Adam, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, Charlie makes a really good point there, because there's some players who cannot take it. They cannot take you digging them out because it feels to them like you're really criticising yeah. them. So what you then have to do, you have to know, your, your, you've got to know the, the, the temperature and know the players. Sometimes you don't do it on, on the match day, you do it maybe on the Monday. If you play on the Saturday, you go in on the Monday or the next day and you speak to him on the, on the training pitch or you speak to him before training or whatever. So what's, what's up? You're better than that. Mm. And you might not get the response you want, but you're hoping there's going to be a reaction because that's what you do it for. You do it for the reaction. This is something quite unique in that you have a son that's currently playing mm -hmm. and your son is a former teammate of Charlie's. Yeah. It's odd how you're both here in the, in the country at the same time. So you've seen, particularly for you, Charlie, someone who started in just before the mid-2000s, only recently retired. Has it been toned down in how you can talk to players? It has at times, and I and I know how to... Like his son? Yeah, I know how to, to what Ty needs. Mm -hmm. I know that Ty needs a little arm around the shoulder sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I've played in the same team as him, and he's not played well. But I know that if I went overboard and I was saying, hey, it's no way... break him. I could break him. Yeah. He's a young kid. Yeah. So what did I do? I put an arm around him. Everything okay? You all right? Don't worry about it. Keep doing what you're doing. You're going to make mistakes. Young, learn from it. That's just experience of what you are and who you are in the dressing room. But I know that I can ignite a flame with somebody else, a Shawcross or Johnny Waters. I know that 
even though I'm not playing well, I can have a go at him because he, I know that he knows that I'm getting frustrated because of my own performance. So you take it out in something else. And, and they'll they, take it the right they take way. It, they take mm. it the right way. Yeah. So it's knowing the characters amongst your team and your group and whatever you got because you want the best for everybody. But that's a skill in itself. To know which player needs an arm and which player yeah, that's needs just, a... That's knowing people's character and... and, and not everyone has that. Not no, everyone has the ability to, to no, differentiate. No, they don't. And, um, but you've got to assess what's in your dressing room and type of people you have. And, and let's say everybody's different. You don't know what's going on in people's personal lives. Yeah. Who, who is the example of an individual that you guys have played with that, was, that completely and only responded to fire? That he was great at dealing with harsh criticisms that... He would usually respond really well to something like that. Rooney, I don't know. The, sorry, well, not so much. No, not so much Rooney because, I mean, Rooney was 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 incredible player, but he's so quiet off the off the pitch. But this went you were with him when he was very young. Yeah, though. but uh, again, I can only speak until he was seventeen because at seventeen <laughs> he got went to Manchester United. But somebody like Tommy Gravison, mm. midfielder, that arm around the shoulders won't work with Tommy. He needs it raw. He needs it. Hey, you're not doing it, and you've got to step up because they're running all over us in midfield, and he's got to have a ramp back, and then he'll refocus. You know he'll refocus. Then second half he'll step up, and then he'll look at you, and you look at him, just nod. He's a big time car player now, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's making millions. Yeah, sorry, he yeah. is. He is. In he is. But you, he's the type of character who you knew. Softly, softly, won't work mm. with him. You've got to go bang on. And, and you know what? All the clubs, that Arsenal, Arsenal was, there was full of them. Eight of the first team will dig you out. If you're not dirty, they'll dig you out. Tony Adams was, was the best captain I've seen at that. Knowing who to put an arm around, knowing who to kick up the, the backside. And, uh, and some, he would just keep quiet and have a word with them on the training pitch. So... Really interesting, really interesting. Stuart Pearce was was good like that. What was a little different. Um, another good captain, and I learned a lot from those guys. Learned a lot. And then look at Liverpool. You got Gerrard as the captain, one of the most extraordinary captains Liverpool have ever had in their history as a player. But it looked like Carragher was the one that was doing most of the talking. Yeah, that is that would that would be normal. But Stevie Dennis talking on the picture. Yeah. Stevie was the one that would go and. Lead by example. Eh? Lead on the pitch, show his talents on the pitch. Cara would come in and say things, and Pepe Reina would be, would say things. It's everybody's different. You know, it's it's like you said. Everybody has different characteristics. Everybody has different mentality. And Stevie just knew that, you know, I, I could go on the pitch and, and show that I was the best player, and that's that's what he done. How do you deal with argumentative players? Because it's I look at Carragher and I see him on TV. I'm thinking he looks like he could. Uh, you might enjoy it, enjoy well, an argument. Well, well, it depends on if you're the manager, doesn't it? Because you can only go so far with the player, because then it becomes personal, or it becomes an opportunity that you, you can either bring them off, or you know, I've seen managers that you have a, a, a go and you have a ding dong with, and in the day he's got the final decision. Off you come, yeah. and you hear players backtracking. Oh, well, I never, yeah, but no, off you come. So it's just the way, that's how it is. It's just knowing that the right point, as a manager, there's enough being said and you don't have to say any more. And um, that's just, that comes with experience mm -hmm. of, being as a, of being a manager. It does, it does. What about players who aren't used to the British system? Now, Boyan at Stoke, 
Ibrahim uh, Affili at Stoke. Different characters. Different, but do you think that you had to kind of treat them with kid gloves initially because they're not used to the Premier League, they're not used to English football, let alone somewhere like the Britannia. Is it different with them? Yeah, players of course. Like you, you get to know their character in the, the first few weeks of the season and pre-season and what they're going to be like. You know, um, he was a fiery character. You know, he, he said a few things. That Boyan? Were, no, mean? Afala. He would say a few things, but his, what he would say would be too close to the bone, too hurtful. Too hurtful, yeah. Mm. Too personal. Where he's a Dutch, though, isn't he? Yeah. And the Dutch are like that. And, 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 and he would say things that were that's that's too low. You you don't need to say that. And um, but it's Boyan was one that you can have a go, but also there's a certain how much of a how you can the have way, a go to him. The way you do it. Yeah. Yeah. But he would like the arm round the shoulder and. and I said characters are all different. I, I'd prefer a manager to, to have a go at me and I could prove him wrong. I don't need the arm around the shoulder. I just want somebody to, to if they, if I'm not playing well. Listen, if I knew, if I wasn't playing well, I'd know myself and I, I'm self-critical. So if a manager shouted at me, I'd have a go back maybe or what. But if he was coming to have a go, then majority of the time I'd probably just sit and take it because I'd know myself mm. I'm not played well. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at, at Liverpool, for example, one of the examples that we brought up just now. Um, one of the things that will probably be said around or uh, in the dressing room is the fact that only last season they were literally in the finals of every competition they could possibly play in. And they also came incredibly close to pushing Man City in the league title. So in times of trouble and despair, you hold on to things like that to remind yourself of that is who we truly are. But that's Liverpool. And I'm thinking of a team like Leicester, for example. If you're in that dressing room, what are the things that you're holding on to at a point in which everything seems to not be going your way? Because it, when it rains, it really it pours. pours. Right? Yeah. So for me, when I, I, I think of myself being in that Leicester dressing room and you, you look around and you see Madison and Vardy, Tielemans, and you, know, you, you see the quality that they've got. They've got some really good players. And you, you're going to say to yourself, we should not be where we are. And you say to yourself, it will turn itself around. Yeah, we're going to have to come together as a team and, and, and do whatever. But a lot of the teams that they play, they've got more quality than the opposition. So, Charlie mentioned it before. There's some self-analysis that has to go on. You've got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I doing my job and am I doing enough? And if I'm doing enough, then I could start looking at the man beside me. Because whether we like it or not, there's all different facets to the team. Two stages of every game mm. is with the ball and without the ball. Leicester with the ball, they've shown they can do it. Without the ball, they've been awful. And that's the hard yards that Leicester have to get back to. They've got to get back to being better without the ball. Because when the opposition have the ball, the tracking and all that kind of thing, it's non-existent a lot of the time. That that's hard. The other area. I look at Leicester. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I look at Leicester. They lose Casper Schmeichel. They lose Fafana. Tielemans is is half gone, isn't it? Is half gone. He's mentally gone in his head. You can see that that he's not got his move to Arsenal in summer. They've lost a couple of other big players. Madison's probably the only one. Vardy's getting a little bit older. Madison's probably the only one that's played to a decent enough level 
that warrants a bit of interest, a bit of England call-up. He's playing for a move, isn't he? Yeah, so everybody He's... then becomes disjoint in terms of we've all got different ideas and oh. plans of what we're doing in our careers. Focus. You know, the focus, focus is totally good. different. Yeah. And and it's and it's been difficult for Brendan because financial fair play, they've not been able to spend any money, mm. they've not been able to buy anybody. And this is the season that's become a problem. And um, it's now up to an owner that's young, relatively, in, in top. It's... Um, does he stick by what Brendan's done before, or does he does he look to change manager? I don't think changing manager at Leicester at the moment would would be any different from from keeping Brendan. I think Brendan's top manager, mm. you know. So if they do lose him, it's only going to be Leicester's loss, and um, they have to just get through this season in terms of you know fighting. Rele- if they have to fight relegation, they have to fight relegation. They have to just get through this mm-hmm. season, and everything will start to turn. And, and like you say, losing big characters in that squad this season has been a blow for them. And we'll see where they go by the end of the season, but Leicester have got good enough players to to, to push to up that league. Yeah. Well, what I did want to ask was about Brendan Rodgers, because he publicly criticised the team when they lost against Forrest in the Cup back in January. Mm-hmm. He's, he's also admitted that the signings they made last year were backup signings, they're not first-team signings. He has cut an extremely frustrated figure because he doesn't have the players. You lose so many players, yet you're not bringing anybody in, let alone anybody of quality. Do you think he even wants to be there? That's a question for another time, because is that true in the first place? Do you, have you ever come across a manager that you're looking at them and you're thinking, I don't think the manager fancies the fight here. I think he wants his payout, because if he asks to, to leave, he's not going to get the money. Is that a thing? The managers at times... They, have you ever seen a manager go through the motions because he doesn't want to be there anymore? He's not been backed by the board, whatever? Whichever way you want to spin it, whether he wants to be there or he doesn't want to be there, it's a results business. That's the bottom line. And when pressure hits, I've seen managers totally change when the real pressure's on. Change in what sense? What do you mean? Their demeanour, their attitude, who they are as people, because normally most managers are, are, are decent people. But when the pressure's on and the flag's flying, Adam, trust me, being on the inside, you get in that dressing room, you've just got beat again at the weekend, and there's all negativity mm. around. And you can know managers are trying to make things up to try and get the boys to keep going. Yes. Vid- the videos that they've never done before. Yeah. and. And you see it, in, you see it, in managers. You could see it how they coach and how they, you know, they're just dreading that moment. You know, I see, I had it with 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 a manager that you, the the moment's coming, it's coming. You could feel it themselves, and it's a weight off the shoulder when it actually comes, isn't it? Yeah. It so is. it's tough. Um, it is. It's a tough gig, um, but unfortunately, I'm not in that position now in terms of a player that can change it. I'm obviously going to be stood on the other side. And I'm going to have that pressure. So hopefully, at one point in my career, where the going's going to get tough for me, and it's how I handle that as a person. And the big mm. thing is, you got to stay strong and stay to your beliefs and what you've got. Mm. You're there. What happens in a dressing room? 
when a manager has lost the confidence of the important figures in the dressing room. Because he gets the sack. <laughs> what? No, okay. No, and, I, and I mean this. What, people always talk about manager. He's lost the dressing room. That, that's it. Yeah. But that they don't know whether he's lost the dressing room or not. Players know. Hmm. People on the outside just use it as a, uh, as a as a throwaway comment. But when a manager loses the dressing room, majority of the time the performances go even worse. Because the players don't believe... The players go out there to, to, to be prideful because nobody wants to go out and lose, let me tell you. No player. But the belief in the man in the dugout is not there. So... That focus, everybody being together and going for one common goal. He's still going out to win the game, but you need your leader on the side to be the form, the, the, the forward thinker. And he's not. He might have had Barney with certain players. He might have done the dirty on certain players, gone behind their back. I've seen it. But talk about new contracts and all that kind of thing, and then there's no new contract there. That can get a player really riled up. So you get one of the players riled up, who's a quite a powerful player. Obviously, they talk, and then all of a sudden, oh, he's done. Then you realise he's done that to a couple of players. Yeah. All of a sudden, there's there's problems in there. You're losing games. Next minute, the hierarchy have given him the dreaded vote of confidence. Mm. Then, as players, you know, hold on a minute. And that's why what tends to happen is when these managers get the sack. New man comes in, there's a bounce. All of a sudden, the dressing room's up. And they win, they win back-to-back -back games and they haven't won in 10 games. And all of a sudden, they've kicked on and they've won a few games. So, the managers have to take a lot of responsibility. It's, it's hard being a manager. It is hard being a manager, managing everything. But you take it on. That's something you've got to take on. If you want to be a manager, you've got to take everything on and deal with it. How much does the first impression of a manager make when he joins a club? How important is that from a player's perspective? And now you're probably thinking of it as a manager's perspective as well. When you give your first talk, when you go to your first club and you've got to say your first words to, a, to an entire squad, could that make or break your, your relationship with a side straight away? Yeah. yeah I, I've had it in my later on in my career. A manager walked in and just said the wrong thing at the wrong time and it just... Never ever excited me after that. He set the tone there. He just set the tone in the first first meeting. It was a killer because <laughs> we were struggling. <laughs> so you need you need something that's just going to come and g you up. So you need to be ready for your right first words, first moment, and make sure that it hits home. If it's the truth, or if it's what you've seen, then it's it's got to be from the heart, and it's got to be something that these boys can relate to. And if you can do that, then you you you'll get a change of the uh, this group of players. I think what you, Adam, what what people must understand is. You come into a football club as a new manager. You can't pull the wool over the experienced boy's eyes. You just can't. If it's hollow words, it's going nowhere. Trust me, it's going nowhere. There has to be some connection. With the words you say, mm. to win the men over. You've got to win the men over because they're the troops who are going to be going out to battle for you every week. Captains on the pitch. Captains on the pitch. That's one thing. But you need a team of people who are going to put their bodies on the line for you. 
If you cannot win them over, you are in a bad position. Make no mistake about it. Mm. And many, many managers mess up, as Charlie said, from the first conversation they have with the team. Many of them do. Yeah. Well, w one of my favorite books that I have at home is a collection of uh, speeches written by incredible political leaders and war generals across time. And it's so powerful to see how they pick and choose moments in terms of how to galvanize an entire group of people. And I'm curious, when you guys were going through difficult periods at your respective clubs, do you remember that one iconic speech or that one iconic moment where the manager was able to just galvanize everyone with his words and empower everyone to just do exceptionally well on the pitch? 100%. I could talk about the, the great escape at West Brom, Brian Robson. Mm. Um, I joined in January of that year and no team had been bottom at Christmas, bottom at the New Year and stayed ever stayed up. Mm. I remember. and. Um, I remember having a meeting. I joined. We we had a meeting. Kieran um, Richardson joined. Richard Chaplow joined. So two good youngsters with good legs. Me with experience at the top end of the pitch. He joined, and Brian Robson said a speech, and it was like, you know, what we've got to do. We've got to connect the old old experienced players with this youth. He said we can't be we can't have clicks and we can't be disjointed. We've all got to be together. And that was the just of the, of the conversation. He's obviously said a lot more, but that was the just of the conversation. The experienced players have to get these youngsters under their wing because we need them. And the young players don't know what it takes. The experienced players knows what it takes. So get everybody together. And you know, after that speech, we, we got together. There was, there was laughter on the training pitch. There was joy on the training pitch. We still lost games. But you know what? We we got over we got over the losses quick, and we didn't dwell on the victories, mm. because the end goal was to be a team who could make history. Yeah, West and Brom can't make history by winning the league because yeah. they're not going to win the league. The one thing West Brom could do is beat all the odds and stay up, and we did in the end. So it just goes to show. But it's coming from somebody like Brian Robson. Mm. He's got your utmost respect to start with. Captain Marvel. But at that moment, I truly believe that group of players needed that speech because if he didn't say nothing, things could just continue yeah. how they were going. Is there one manager you could choose to give an inspirational speech? Who would it be for you, Charlie? Walter Smith. Mm. Walter Smith. Yeah. How how did he convey his words? What what was his just the, the the elegance and the class that the man had just was a was a, was a serial winner. Not listen, could rant and rave would would have a With go. With the best of them, trust yeah, me. Yeah, but just had was calm in every scenario. Knew what to do. Always had the solution for you. You know, winning or losing. He'd always have the right solution for for what the end game was, and he was he was just brilliant. Huh? Plenty of experience, coach, managed at the top level. I'd probably say somebody like him was was probably be for me in a big moment. He would be the one that I'd want stood there talking to me. I could tell you one about Walter Smith. By yeah. the way. Um great man. 
totally agree with everything Charlie said. When I, he, he's the one who brought me to, to Everton. Obviously. Oh, he signed. Okay. And um, it was eight games, the eight game season, and I've come in. And the first game was the we played Liverpool. We got beat three to at Anfield. That was my first game. Second game we played Sheffield Wednesday. We were one nil up at half time, and I don't know if you remember a little Italian called Benito Carboni. Oh yeah, mm. of course. We gave yeah. two back passes straight to him, and he went through and scored both. We ended up losing the game two one, and we hit the bottom three. That 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 Sunday, I never forget, it was a Sunday. And we get to the dressing room after the game, and you could see he was smarting. You could see he was smart because we'd just thrown it away. And he never dug individuals out. But what he said is he said, right, he said, now I'm going to find out who wants it from you boys. Now I'm going to find out the truth. Because you know when you're not in the bottom three, you can coast. He said, but there's no hiding place now, boys. So we set the challenge. Mm -hmm. And after that game, I think we won three games on the spin. Yeah. And obviously stayed up. So he knew, and he's a serial winner. He's coming from range where he's back to back to nine in a row and all that. He's coming to a relegation situation and knew exactly the right thing to say because he challenged us. And that's what got the team motivated. When I think of Walter Smith, I never met him and never spoke to him but I remember he always looked classy mm -hmm. and I think that really sets the tone for Important, yeah. how a manager is I mean is that the same for the players because I see how some managers dress and thinking mm. I look at Graham Potter from Brighton how he dressed in tracksuits and now wearing he has a beard and he's got a, a fade on his hair I'm just thinking he looks so much better he looks like more it looks like Chelsea manager looks like a Chelsea manager I think right? how you look as a manager uh, is key to what your team represents. Mm. You know, I look, the thing about being at Rangers, we always wear suits, and it's something that I would take into management if I can, that my home team would always wear a suit to a home game. Um, and that's something that we always had. The tradition of the manager tradition, at the club yeah. was that you must wear a shirt and tie. Because even in training, when all the years ago before I signed, that was the rule that they used to get changed at Ibrox. You must wear a shirt and tie to, to, to training. Mm. And that was from Jock Wallace and back in the day, that's what the, the rules were, the tradition of the football club. Yeah. And it stuck. So I think whatever your, how your manager is, is stood on the side represents you as a football club and, and represents your team. So if your manager's smart and looks well, I think you get the right performance from your players as well. So how do you look at some managers who try to embrace fashion a bit more, like um, Julian Nagelsmann? Allegedly, at Bayern, some of the board members weren't happy with because he he's quite outlandish with his dress sense, and he turned up to training apparently on Harley Davidson. It didn't go well with some of the board members, like Olivier Kahn, who's saying this is not what a manager should be doing. Uh, Scott Parker, he's he's got quite a interesting dress sense, I would say. I think it probably got more attention than him. His some of his jumpers, I don't know. Should we? The fact we're even talking about it, I think, might be a problem. Well, you could look at you could look at different things, can't you? The the the, the bottom line is, are, are they successful? The, the, the game's changed so much. I mean, tradition. Arsenal we used to wear blazer and flannels all the time, home and away. You know, used to book, used to wear collar and tie for your home games, and blazer and flannels away. Now you swan in in tracksuits or whatever. Yeah, 
I get it, no problem. But the game's changed to that point where people on the sideline could wear jeans and, you know, trainers. It's fashion. It's, it's like a fashion show. Yeah, at but the side. look at Pep. Yeah, yeah, it's no. Everybody looks at Pep and thinks it's no affecting Pep, is it? How he comes across. No. He feels relaxed. He feels comfortable. How his team are. He's animated on the side. So why would he want to have a suit on? Everybody has different reasons yeah. for it. What if his wife dresses him, designs for him, I think, as well. So, what if a, a manager is younger than some of the players and he turns up to training in a, on a Harley Davidson? Well, we don't know what he enjoys and his hobbies not, are. Not Pep. Sorry, this is Julian Nagelsmann. Yeah, well, I know because he's a. You wouldn't think you, Bayern, would, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. The Bayern look. Munich manager. He, he must. He might have a hobby of being. He likes to drive Harley Davidson. You know, it's like players turn up in Rolls Royces, Bentleys. Well, why could they know? They could afford to buy it. Why could they not turn up and make cars? Because it creates an issue when results aren't going well. No, but it, it brings but, attention. No, but you well. see, it, th th that's the problem right there. When the results are going well, it's all right. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah but it, 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 you've got to take it both ways. There's going to be ups and downs. There, uh, it's it, it's life. You're so, never so, just going to keep going. So at the moment. I don't know what Mo Salah drives. He might drive Ferrari, Lamborghini, and that, or what the lads are driving. Is that? Any, is that? Was that? They had to take the mind off the game. They're driving Lamborghinis and all that, and Ferraris into training. Does that mean that they're bad players? And that mean they're bad people? No, they were doing it when they were winning the Champions League. So to say, people turn up in Rolls Royces and Bentleys and all that. That's if they can afford to buy their cars. Well done, lads. Enjoy it's yourself. A... It's no flash. You, you want comfort, you want nice things in your life. If you've got the money to spend, you're on 200 grand a week and you want to buy a car, it's 200 grand, 300 grand, you can afford to do it. No problem with that. It's just that those are the players. When it comes to the manager, you would think that... Yeah, but here's one for you, Adam. Do you reckon Bayern Munich haven't done their homework on Nagelsmann? They know what type of character he is. They appointed him. So they know there might be some stuff that he does that is aloof not going to impact how he manages mm. and this is the problem old school Oliver Kahn say oh, you know this is what a man yeah maybe in his day but the game's moved on yeah the game has moved on and you know let the hierarchy say what they want the fact of the matter is is he getting the results because at the end of the day that's what matters they don't care he could come in on a scooter for people care it doesn't matter if they're Bayern Munich are winning they're happy I'm going to go to wherever Charlie's first club is and I'm going to watch and see what he drives to training in. What he drives. <laughs> I just want to see what he's wearing even for training. I'm just going to take notes. And yeah, what, 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 what sort of a manager do you think you'll be in terms of your outfit? He's Scottish. He'll be simple and, and classy. Yeah, I'll try and wear a suit if I can, yeah. And, and classy. So the other thing is, um, in terms of team talks, um, obviously... Speeches are speeches, but team talks are the interesting one because you have to do it if you know if you have thirty-eight games in a season, you've got to do it thirty-eight times. Um, doing it when the team is doing well is one thing because you know you keep it simple. Your team is generally playing well, but trying to manage team talk at a time where things aren't going well, um, when you're on a bad run of form, you know eight games in a, in a row, for example, you've not won. How do you then manage the team talk? Because 
Are you know, in a job if you've lost eight in a row. I mean, some some managers are still in a job after eight eight yeah. defeats in a row. Or uh, you haven't won for eight games. Yeah, you haven't won for eight games. Well, what I will say is, we we suffered some of that at West Brom, some of that feeling at West Brom, and you think you probably think the team talk gets more complex. The harder the, the harder the, re- the defeats on the results. But actually, it, sh- it should Simplify get m- it. more simple. Go, go out and win. Mm. You've, got to, you've got to better your opponent, your direct opponent. And if we can do that, more of our team does that against the opposition. Game plan set. set up the, the, we set up how we want to play. We set up how we want to hurt them. We know what they do. Just do your job. It's not not rocket science now. What 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 was team talks like under George Graham? George Graham was was pretty much like that to be honest. George Graham was, used to always say to us, "Listen, we believe in the players in here. We know what we've got to do. Come on, just go out and win." He said, "I want clean sheets. If we keep a clean sheet, we'll win the game. We will win the game. So we're, we're prepped. We're ready to go. Just go and do it, guys." That was his team talk most of the time. Nothing too fancy. How vocal were you if you disagreed with what a manager was asking you to do or how they just set up tactically, whatever it might be, for a game? Something which you thought was wrong? Um, Would you challenge the manager? uh, I I, I had the situation when I was at Dundee. I was captain. We were losing. um, And the manager came in and played three at the back. And I said to him after the game, I don't think this group of players are comfortable with three at the back, with the players that we had. And he disagreed with me. But then he went to look at it again and we never played three at the back again. So, hey, was I right or was I wrong? You were was I right, right to challenge him? I, I, people know me that, you know, I say how I feel and well, what I made think. Point, Charlie, I made my point, yeah. I just felt the group were not stable enough and, and we, we were playing three at the back. I'd never felt that the players were comfortable being able to try and play out for the back or centre-backs getting dragged into wide areas. We were, it was killing us, you know, and we never, never really worked on it. So we, I, had to, I felt I had to say something at the time and, yeah, we, we, never, we never played. Well, we never played three at the back when I played. So that must have been something that he listened to. Did you ever challenge? A manager? Yeah, I mean... Particularly as you were more experienced, as you got a little bit older, maybe yeah. when you were captain at Everton or whatever. Well, it's funny, when I was 18, I went to, on loan to Leighton Orient. Frank Clark and Brian Eastick. Frank Clark was manager, Brian Eastick was uh, is a big FA man, was his, was his um, number two. And Brian Eastick used to take all the training. And after training... I made a point to write, I pulled him. I didn't want to do it in front of all the lads. I was like 18 years old. You're a kid. I'm a kid. But because I've been I've been training with Arsenal first team since I was like 16. And when George Graham trains you, you, you retain the knowledge. So I, I made a point of saying, he was saying, when the fullback gets it, I want you to knock it in the channel. So my point to him was, what's the point knocking it in the channel if we're not moving the fullback out the, mm. we're not moving the fullback out the channel. So he's just knocking it onto a fullback. So we're trying to run in behind, but he's never going to get in behind because the fullback's always there. I said, what we've got to do is try and move the fullback. 
pull him out of position. Exactly. So I made that point to him. I said, Brad, not being funny. I said, I want this to work. I want to run in, in there. But what we do at Arsenal is we affect the fullback. Now, if the fullback don't want to come out the hole, then the wide man's going to get it. Now, the fullback's got a problem because he's got a wide man who's turned running. I don't have to run the channel now. He can play off me to feet or I can come to feet and spin him behind and get it for goal. And he kind of looked at me and he said, don't worry about it. He said, you just run in the channel. That's what he said to me. That was a Tuesday. On the Thursday we were training, we worked on moving the fullback. Ah. <laughs> uh. he, he didn't want to admit it to me, pretty much like Charlie. You know, the manager didn't say, you're right. As soon as we worked on moving the fullback, <coughs> we were in business. And that season, got promoted, hmm. playing that way. Do you want a captain when you do manage to challenge you? Yeah. I want my staff to challenge me. I want my players to challenge me. Um, at the right time, you know, there's a respect that you've got to, to be there. But if they have a problem, they have an issue, I have no doubt the players speaking up and, and having a conversation. Absolutely. Doors open and you don't want yes men? No, it's not about yes men. It's about being the best version of, being the best version of yourself and, you know, giving the players a responsibility to actually drive it themselves and, you know, give them the onus to be successful and, and, and let's say, have a freedom to be able to relax and enjoy the football. But if, if they've got a, an issue or they want to talk up, absolutely no problem with that at the right times and it's got to be respectful. No, um, the other thing about when you're in, in a times of trouble and despair, we've spoken about, you know, managers trying to uplift the spirit, we've spoken about players needing to believe, believe in themselves, uh, getting the group to stick together. But the one thing that constantly comes at you guys when things are not going well is the press. The, you know, it's I'm fans. And social media now. I'm fans. And social yeah, media yeah, right yeah. now, yeah. yeah. It, it's constantly haunting you guys, hounding you from the back as well. When you were playing, um, Kevin, when things were not going well, mm -hmm. what was this, what was the strategy like in terms of dealing with the press? Because that can get really, really overwhelming at times. Well, it can do, but you know what the press are. You, you you've got to. You've, you've got to be honest with yourself. And if you haven't played well, you hold your hand up and say, listen, I haven't played well enough today. You've got to be honest because if you, if you try and battle the press, you're fighting a losing battle. The press are there to do a job. And, and sometimes we do think as players, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Yes, we do sometimes, you know. Have, have, you ever, have you had that moment where you've had to you know, sound out a reporter and say, Of course. Hang on a minute. Yeah, if you haven't, you haven't had a career. <laughs> Let's put it that way. If you haven't, you haven't had a career. But realistically, you do understand what the game is. The game is about winning. And sometimes the headlines are made when you're not doing well. When you're doing well, it's, it's you know... Mm. They've done well. But when you're not doing well, there's more meat on the bone for them to, to, to go out. So you, what you, you always try and do, you always try and protect your team. You protect your teammates as best you can. And you try and be as honest as you can within reason. Because 
Losing games is hard, man. Losing games is hard. Hard to take. And when you're struggling down there and then people ask you the question, you know, we lost again, you know, you know, what's your thoughts on the loss? You know, you don't really want to be talking about that. But you have to take it on board and you have to try and come up with a proper answer that satisfies them but doesn't say too much and, and incriminate your teammates. Very important because egos are fragile when you're losing. It's hard. It's, football's a hard business when you're losing. It's great when you're winning, but hard when you're losing. Did you take it home? Were you I, able to switch off? I, I could switch off, but of course you took it home. Of course you took it home. Again, self-analysis is so important. And you know what? You can be in a room with people. I've, I've been out for dinner with the wife and everything, and we've, we've done all the bits and pieces, but it's still there. It never leave you. People can say, yeah, I, I switch up. You don't. Could people talk to you after a loss when you got home? Yeah. Because some people say that they go home, they, yeah. they just want to be alone. Yeah, of course. That's, that's some people, but you could talk to me after a loss, no problem. But my mind is still always with the game because I'm a winner. Yeah. I want to win. I don't want to lose. I want to win. So, you know, that's all part and parcel of, of the profession. And Charlie's had a long career. I've had a long career. This is stuff that you 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 build and you 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 insulate yourself with in how to get over things like that because we all want to win we we don't go out there to lose but dealing with loss is part of football. Could you be talked to after a match or did you just want to be left alone? No, I wouldn't want to be left alone. I'd, yeah, at least I'd sit quiet and I'd watch what was on the telly or whatever. Um, but. I wouldn't go to the extremes of going and sitting in a room on my own and... Some do. Yeah, some do. Every, everybody's different. Everybody takes defeats different. Doesn't mean we don't care. You know, we all care, but mm. we all take it different ways. Um, it's, it's more it like... It wouldn't stop me going for dinner on a Saturday night as a player. As a manager, maybe that's different. Mm. A lot of managers change, but as a player, no, wouldn't it? Why, 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 why try and take it home in, in terms of spoil everybody else's Saturday night? Yeah, it's difficult. So I try and, the best I can, I try and enjoy myself as, as much as I can. But yeah, I'd be done, I'd be upset, I'd, it'd hurt me. And I'd probably linger till the Sunday. But it's, 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 you've got to get over it as quick as you can, because if you don't, then it, it'll start affecting you week after week. And that's, that was the way I'd done it. I, I was reading an interview with Gonzalo Higuain recently. Um, I think he just announced his retirement mm -hmm. as well. And in that interview, he's, he spoke about how much, for the first time really, he spoke about it, how much throughout his career, the press really, really affected him. Things that were being said in mm. the media, things that were being said on social media even, it affected him to the point that he would struggle mentally. Question he himself. Had to, que exactly, question himself. Um, he, had, he had a lot of animosity built up as well. Um, he had to take himself off it. Do you guys remember players or teammates that were that affected by the press as well? Well, you see it now that players are on the phones within five minutes of finishing a game, texting their agent, texting social media, sending pictures of winning games. Sorry to hear the fans for the loss. Thanks for the support. I'm, you know, wasn't the, wasn't the best result. I think that's the worst thing you can do. Mm. So I just no, I was never affected by the social media thing. I was never the press. Yeah, I had a few run-ins with the press in terms of 
the local people and that, but nah, listen, you know yourself if you're not played well. You mm. don't need people on the outside telling you that you've, you're not good enough because you always have these people that will tell you that anyway. It doesn't matter if you play good or bad. There's always people doubting you. So I self-critical of my own self. I never never got myself wrapped up in what social media was saying. So um, no, it was, it was different. The, the mental side of it, you deal with it yourself. Do you remember a teammate that was really affected by it? Yeah, there was, there was a few teammates that were mine that, that, that would be affected by by it and not playing well and what, what the media were saying. And, you know, let's say you just got to be there for them and try and help them through it. Um, but I think the biggest thing now is that players are so engaged with the, the social media and fans straight away after a game, when or when... Lose or draw. Yeah, they're, they're mm. all, you know, they only go on when they win. They don't go on when they lose, you know, and, and, and all that, so... Sometimes you just got to, you know, be calm. You know, don't get too high and don't get too low. Balance. It's got to be balance. Got to be balance well, in it. We know what sells newspaper stories. We know what's what sells websites. It's mm. the it's the bad news. Why have Arsenal fan TV done so well? If they were top of the table <laughs> for the last ten years, do you think AFTV would be as popular as it is now? No, I, I me personally, I think it's just it was something new at the time. And Arsenal weren't doing so well, and but they went that, global because of these meltdowns. Yeah, but what I'm, my my point I'm I'm making is they weren't even the biggest watch videos. The best watch videos were some of the ones where Arsenal won, but nobody wants to talk about that because they don't want the nice story. Mm. They want the bad story because the bad story and people going ranting and raving and swearing on, 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 on camera. That's what gets people. And, and you know what? It wasn't just Arsenal fans. It was fans in general. Have you seen this? You need to see it. And people would go yeah. on and watch it and have a laugh. That's what, that's how it kind of worked out. And, unf and unfortunately for some, it became too much. There became a lot of toxicity around the club because of AFTV. But whenever Arsenal won or, or players done well, they were always full of praise for, for the team. But nobody wants to really discuss that. It mm. was all, you're toxic for the club and da, 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 da. I think AFT have done a fantastic job. I think they, they've been pioneers, Robbie uh, and those guys. Some of the characters on yes because we you're dealing with you're dealing with people now and the same guys who will be in the pub ranting and raving about the, the performance now all of a sudden you're seeing it on on, on screen mm, on youtube yeah. on youtube you're seeing it on screen and it's going to be there forever people levitate towards that people like that sort of stuff if it's not your team and arsenal have lost then you're you don't like arsenal it's this is the things dreams are made of. Yeah. <laughs> I've got all these guys melting down on camera, you know, and Arsenal are, are crap at the time. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. That's just the that's just the way that's just the way it goes. It's nothing that wouldn't get spoken on if it's a away trip on a coach on the coach on the way back, or if you're at home and you're in the boozer, the boozers. Everyone's opinion matters, but because it's on video, it took another. Uh, another it went to another level yeah okay guys it's it's been one hour and i have to say i have I've learned quite a few things i've learned what you're going to be like dressed as a manager i've learned that 
what Steve Bold does in his sleep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is something new for me, but Kev mm. and Don't Charlie. Don't get caught in the room. No, yeah. I'll remember that. Especially in one as small as this. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't want him in here. No, no, no. I want to thank both of you for joining me here for the conversation alongside Kish as well. What did you learn today, Kish? I, know, I think the Steve Ball one is the one that's going to stick in my head for a very long time. <laughs> At least it's in your head, not in your nose. Yeah, exactly. I'll take that. Face. Yeah, not in my <laughs> face. Yeah. Horrible, horrible image. Uh, squeaky bum time, wrapping up for another week. More very, very soon indeed. Hope you enjoyed the show. Till next time.